Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Compliance Expert Radio Show, your source for the latest information on corporate governance, internal audit, stocks and risk management services, with in-depth interviews, discussions, and insights from leading experts. Hosted by Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum, this is the Compliance Expert Radio Show. And now, here is your host, Sonia Luna. I'm Sonia Luna, CEO of Aviva Spectrum, a financial transformation and compliance consulting firm headquartered in sunny Los Angeles, California. I'm also a speaker and writer on topics like financial close transformation, COSO, ERM, SOX 404, and auditing-related topics. My guest today is Aaron Selleck. Aaron is an independent director and advisor to public and private companies. She currently serves as a chair of the audit committee and member of the Enterprise Risk Committee at Broadway Financial Corp. We'll be discussing the current issues and best practices regarding the board's role in the governance and oversight of enterprise risk management. But prior to joining the board at Broadway Financial Corp., Aaron served as a senior executive, VP, treasurer, and executive committee member at MUFG Union Bank. Her many accomplishments at Union Bank include successfully guiding the bank through the most significant financial crisis of the modern era, you know, presiding over meaningful growth in the bank's balance sheet, and expertly navigating an increasingly challenging economic and regulatory environment in the banking industry. She's a recipient of a number of professional honors, including being named Woman to Watch by the American Banker Magazine in 2012. Welcome, Erin. Oh, thank you so much for that lovely introduction, Sonia, and it's really a pleasure to be with you today. I'm super excited about this interview because over the years, both in my professional experience and in discussions with other executives, it, you know, the role of the board and its responsibility seems to grow, not shrink. And our listeners, I know today, will walk away knowing what steps to take when dealing with changes to those oversight responsibilities. And Erin, since you've had significant experience both as an executive and a board member in the financial services industry, can you share with our audience what are the, the core elements of enterprise risk management for both management and, let's say, the board? Yes, Sonia, I'm, I'm always happy to share my perspective. Uh, you mentioned in my intro that I've been in, in banking my whole career, and because banking um, adopted ERM early, I've had a lot of years uh, to think about what, you know, what makes ERM effective and, and successful. And I always come back to those characteristics of, of ERM that are going to help the company achieve its business objectives and ultimately create shareholder value. So there's, there's a lot about ERM that accomplishes that, um, but there are three things that, for me, kind of 
rise to the top of the list, three core elements. So um, let me touch on those. Um, first, really strong ERM programs are going to be truly enterprise-wide. They're going to deal with all the risks in the enterprise. They're going to do that in an integrated way, and they're going to involve everybody. Um, second, ERM programs are going to be forward-looking. They're going to focus on the future. And third, the best ERM programs are going to be strategic. They're going to link risk and opportunity, and they're going to promote the creation of shareholder value, again, what it's ultimately all about. Um, so, so let me elaborate on each of those just a little bit. First, enterprise risk obviously is enterprise-wide by definition. Um, it's you know, ideally going to be comprehensive, dealing with all of the risks in the enterprise. It's going to deal with those risks in an integrated way using a portfolio concept, and it's going to involve you know, everybody, the board, executive management, and employees, you know, at all levels and in all functions, not just the risk management function. So when we talk enterprise-wide, we're really talking about enterprise-wide in, in every sense of that term. So what does that look like in practice? Um, well, in banking, for example, uh, the, the ERM program is, you know, typically going to incorporate all of the quantitative risks, so market risk or credit risk. And it's also going to incorporate the qualitative risks, like strategic risk and compliance risk, reputation risk. You know, these days, cybersecurity risk would certainly be on a bank's list of risks to consider. And HR risks, like uh, succession planning and other similar, you know, HR types of matters. And, and then, you know, industry disruptors, emerging risks, like from the fintech sector, would, would likely be in scope. So all of these risks, and certainly many more, uh, they're going to be managed in an integrated way, not just in individual silos. The, the portfolio approach allows a bank, in this case, to really see the correlations between risks. And we know that in the financial crisis, for example, the, the correlation between credit and liquidity risk really had a significant impact, and not all institutions survived the impact of that, of that correlation. So these days, banks are really going to focus a lot on those relationships between risks. And then a strong ERM program, you know, everyone in the enterprise, from the board chair to the CEO and the bank teller and the loan officer, everybody in the enterprise is going to be involved and highly engaged with an important role to play. So obviously this is just a quickie example from banking, but the point is that in good, strong ERM, Everybody's going to be involved, and it's going to be a comprehensive program that uses a portfolio approach to risk management. I, I so, really appreciate um, the, sorry, go the, ahead. the comment. Yeah, I appreciate the comprehensiveness uh, statement as well as key stakeholders that it's not just key at the board or upper management. It's all the way down. And then the future piece of it, um, a lot of people see the ERM as a point in time, right? It's It's a snapshot oh, these are the key risks now, and it's rarely looked at, well, wait a minute, uh, some organizations do have forecasts, and they have guidance and, and other metri financial metrics, but then that, you know, the qualitative metrics that you were mentioning, you know, strategic risks, uh, you know, M&A uh, risks with, with competition and, and how they're leveraging their products and services against yours, um, you know, those those are other ratings that the board as well as key members of management and, and, and the folks, you know, in, in the lines of services can all 
participate in that dialogue. And it shouldn't, I don't think it should be just one point in time. It should be future focused. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the second key component I'd really um, uh, emphasize. And the way I think ERM programs do that best is with a focus on emerging risks. You know, obviously we're not operating in static environments. So with a good ERM program that's future focused, you can identify those emerging risks very early on. Um, and that gives you a better chance to deal with them. So, you know, in my experience uh, in banking, for example, a lot of those emerging risks have come from the external environment. You know, obviously, we've seen a lot of uh, changes in the economic environment uh, over the last 10 years uh, and still changing. Uh, the regulatory environment's been changing. And then even the competitive landscape, you know, whether it's a non-bank who's entering uh, the banking, you know, traditional banking space or, or from other avenues. So, um, you know, whatever the source of those risks, it's really important, I think, to uh, be sure that you're embracing them with, within a strong ERM program. And then, of course, you know, ERM at its best is strategic, as I mentioned. It should really uh, help the company balance risk and opportunity and, you know, again, coming back to shareholder value creation. And it's hard to define, you know, what does strategic ERM look like, but, but certainly uh, in, the, in the best programs, there's going to be a strong link between the strategic planning process and ERM. Uh, when new products and services are being considered, ERM will be right there from the very beginning to identify, you know, risks that could potentially derail that strategy. And it's continuous. It's not just a, you know, do it at planning time, but you're really embedding that strategic component uh, on a continuous basis, uh, always keeping in mind both risks and opportunities. Right, exactly. It's not just the risk component, but it's, it is those opportunities that may uh, present themselves. And I wanted to get into another uh, key component here in, in our dialogue today. You know, during your career as a board member, I, I'm sure you've seen a lot of regulatory changes, especially in the banking, right, the, especially after the financial crisis. Can you tell us more about what are the expectations, okay, and best practices for the board's role in effective governance and oversight of the ERM programs? Yeah, definitely the board's role. It's, you know, it's an important one and, and it is growing, particularly, you know, as you mentioned, in regulated industries. You know, and there's a lot that the board has to do, but maybe let me emphasize a couple of things that I think are really foundational. You know, first, obviously, the board has the role in collaborating with management to set the risk appetite. And by collaborating on risk appetite, you know, the, the board and management can be sure they're on the same page, which is obviously very important, um, about how much risk the, the company is willing to take. And then being aligned, it, you know, the board can obviously also, uh, you know, discharge its oversight responsibilities uh, more effectively. Um, so, so being on the same page is important. You know, it's, it's hard to define risk appetite. And, you know, in banking, for example, some of the measures that are often used to kind of get to a risk appetite could include um, things like rating or regulatory or credit ratings or the amount of loss in a stress scenario or, or, or those kinds of things. But, um, but whatever your industry, you know, you obviously need to be sure that the board is playing an effective role in, in that establishing and continuously refining, by the way, the risk appetite. It's, it's not a one and done. Um, the second thing, it's obvious, I think, but uh, the board has a key role to, to play in oversight of the risk management systems. Uh, you know, these systems obviously include 
identification of risk, measurement, monitoring, and ultimately the, the control of risk. And the board has to play an active role there. Um, so as a board member, I like to ask a lot of questions about uh, the company's risk management systems, um, you know, the policies, the processes, the people. Um, so I might ask, what are our risk policies? How have they been implemented? And are they effective? Or how capable is our risk management team? And are their skills appropriate for the risks that we're facing? And are our systems capable of, of supporting us with, with data and analytics that we need? So, so a, lot of, a lot of good questions, those and many, many more. And, and they don't all have to be asked in the boardroom, by the way. At, at Broadway, where I serve as audit chair and member of the ERM committee, I, you know, I obviously want to be very confident in our risk management uh, systems and their effectiveness. So I spend a lot of time outside of the boardroom with management on, on all of those topics. And then just maybe to mention a couple of others, um, you know, we set the tone at the top, uh, we hire the right CEO, and we hold her accountable for risk management uh, within the company. Um, we ask a lot of, uh, you know, constructive types of challenge questions of management. I think in ERM that's especially valuable where all the assumptions and judgments come in. And then, you know, clearly we have to be very well informed about risk, you know, in order to help the company make the best decisions. So we, we do a lot, but uh, let, me, uh, let me leave it there since I think I've highlighted the key topics. Yeah, and I, I appreciate the, the collaboration part of, of your assessment on, you know, an effective uh, corporate governance uh, approach, right? Because um, it's, ERM is not a, aha, I gotcha, you did something incorrect based on policies and procedures or based on metrics, et cetera. It, it's really supposed to be, hey, we're all trying to get better at what we do best, okay? So um, the collaboration part, I think, is, is key with that continuous communication with management, looking at key uh, me measurements, but then also, again, the accountability measure. You know, I always think of Ronald Reagan, you know, trust but verify <laughs> uh, aspects of it. Um, and I wanted to lead into another item about, you know, what most professionals believe. You know, they have a good idea of what's an effective, okay, process to handling the business as usual, board-level agenda items, but sometimes unique circumstances, or dare I say, crisis issues pop up with very little notice or, you know, very little time to react. Can you share with our listeners what techniques you find most effective to kind of house, you know, the board-level responsibilities when those unique challenges are presented to the board? Yes. Um, it, it doesn't matter how effective your, your ERM system is or how strategic it is or how, how vigilant you are about emerging risks. The unexpected is going to happen. And, and then sometimes you do have a crisis on your hands. So, so you know, how does the ERM governance framework uh, apply in that crisis scenario? Uh, well, just to back up a sec and, and talk about, you know, how is ERM governed when the company is not in a crisis? Uh, you know, obviously it varies. It depends on your industry and, you know, your board composition and a, a whole number of factors. But, uh, you know, commonly you'll see risk governed um, in a risk committee, and, and they'll have responsibility for ERM. Uh, in many companies, it's within the scope of the audit committee. And then, of course, in many companies, I think today still, um, the full board has, has ERM responsibility. And, you know, any of those structures can work perfectly fine. You just have to be sure it works right for your company. 
But then when the crisis hits, so is it that committee that, that's governing ERM in normal times that automatically takes the lead? Um, I don't think so, at least not, not necessarily. Um, you know, each, each crisis situation is obviously going to be very different and, and involve different uh, types of, um, you know, board requirements and often many committees. But, but regardless of, of where you're governing ERM, you know, there are a number of ways that ERM can be very helpful to the board and management when a crisis does emerge. Um, so, for example, ERM can help management and the board ensure that all of the risks in the company, not just the crisis, but all of your risks are still being managed. Um, the structure and discipline of ERM really helps uh, keep that focus when the distraction of the crisis could otherwise really overtake everyone's um, bandwidth. So, you know, you can't stop managing your basic compliance risk if you have a natural disaster, and you can't stop managing uh, credit risk in a bank if you've got a, you know, geopolitical event, et cetera, et cetera. So, so when the crisis hits, you, you have to, um, you know, maintain that good focus on all of your risks, and the ERM framework can really help you do that. And it can also be helpful, the, the framework that is, if the unexpected event that's led to the crisis has been on your emerging list radar screen. So if you've anticipated in some sense, you likely have at least the preliminary um, framework for some kind of response plan already in place. In most companies, if it's a natural disaster, they've got a response plan right on the shelf and can pull it right off. And if it's an unexpected event that you know isn't uh, that well um, framed in terms of a response plan, there are probably still a lot of tools in the toolkit that you can deploy, like a strong communications plan or some idea of who the, the key leaders are going to be in the response plan. So, um, you know, you've got, you've got a lot of tools at your disposal from the ERM framework. And I would also say that um, you can learn a lot from uh, the crisis itself to make your ERM program stronger in the future. Uh, you know, there's nothing like stepping back after a crisis is over and thinking about uh, lessons learned. I, I really believe strongly in that. So, so ask a lot of questions. You know, why didn't you anticipate the event? You know, did your risk control framework operate effectively when the event did happen? You know, do you, are you thinking big enough when you think about risk? So all those kinds of questions can really help, you know, after the crisis, obviously, can really help you build an even stronger ERM program going forward. And I, I really, um, what resonated with me right now was that plan. In other words, there's something to lean on. And I remember distinctively having a, a great conversation with a woman who she leads investments. Uh, she's a VC, but she has a huge portfolio of companies. And the topic of crisis, she had a company that they had invested in that had a crisis. And I asked her very specifically, was there any forecasting plans, policies, procedures, et cetera. She said, oh, yeah. I said, so what was the debriefing like? And she says, look, Sonia, basically having a plan doesn't mean that you think you're gonna, it's going to be executed to the T to that plan. Okay, so if you're starting to measure management exactly to, well, wait a minute, we agreed ABC was going to do on the policy and procedure. Remember, in a crisis, people are going to react a certain way. The plan is just a benchmark to hopefully get them to do 90% of that plan, okay, not 100%. And then, yes, we're all going to get better at it, et cetera. 
but not having a response or a communication plan or, you know, how are we going to deal with this? How are we going to meet up uh, as a board with the management team? What are we going to be measuring when we do get our agenda on crisis issues? That's when um, miscommunication happens. That's when the dialogue or the breakdown happens, and therefore you make a mountain of what could have been just a tiny little anthill, right? So um, I wanted to switch gears about what should companies and boards consider when they're making key decisions when these unique issues present themselves? Yeah, well, like you just said, you know, you can have the best plans in the world and then, you know, inevitably whatever happens is going to look a little bit differently than what you anticipated. So, so being really um, nimble there is important, and, and that always makes me think about guiding principles. Um, so what guiding principles do you bring to the table in dealing with any unique situation, crisis, whatever you want to call it? Um, so, so there are a few that you know are 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 always front and center for me. Um, obviously, you mentioned this. Be sure roles and responsibilities are really clearly defined, and you know that's within the board itself, and of, of course between the board and management. You know, management's typically going to lead the response effort, you know, day by day, minute by minute. But you know, the board is typically going to have some additional role to play, whether it's communicating with you know key stakeholders or Maybe a special committee needs to be formed. Now, whatever the case may be, you need to be really clear about what that, that board role is. You know, you mentioned communications plan, coming back to that for just a minute. In every crisis I've ever been involved in, that is certainly, you know, been a key to the success of the response plan. And that should be on the shelf already, you know, identifying at least the broad strokes of how you're going to communicate with all your stakeholders, you know, employees, uh, members of the community, partners, suppliers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and certainly the board and management, as you mentioned, need to stay uh, in very close communication, more so than ever when, when there's a crisis. Um, and, you know, sometimes you need external resources, so think that through in advance. Do you, do you have all the expertise or do you need to think about outside attorneys or PR professionals, you know, whatever the, the case may be? You'll want to have those you know, in hand and on the shelf to some extent ahead of time, too. Um, and then beyond these kind of tactical considerations, I think there are a couple of things the board especially can really uh, bring to the table. And, and one is helping the company, like we talked about earlier, you know, avoid the distraction of the moment and, and keep the big picture, you know, very squarely in mind. And that's the big picture, not just about risks, but about opportunities. You know, if we think about uh, the financial crisis, for example, we know that a lot of financial institutions had opportunities during that crisis to acquire other financial institutions. And in the long run, those have been, in most cases, really uh, beneficial for shareholder value. So uh, as a board, I think it's really important to help the company stay focused, you know, big picture, you know, management may be heads down dealing with the crisis, but big picture on risks and opportunities is really important. And related to that is also the, the question of long-term and short-term. Uh, yes, you, you need to be thinking about dealing with the immediate issue um, today, uh, but you don't want your solution to that issue to create you know, further problems down the road. So, so here you can be challenging management to, to think about, you know, is your response today going to create um, you know, a problem competing down the road? Or, is it going to create other, other risks that 
you know, you're solving one problem, but you're, you're creating another. And, and I see companies that do that really well, you know, do end up with a competitive advantage. So, um, you know, obviously the board has to hold management responsible, not just for preserving shareholder value in the short run, but for ensuring that it will continue to grow uh, long term. Um, so, so just as I kind of think in terms of wrapping all this together on, on ERM, I think when it's done right, ERM can definitely help your company compete uh, and, and give you uh, what, what I think COSO calls reasonable assurance that you're going to achieve your strategic, strategic objectives. Um, and if you implement the kind of strong program we talked about earlier with the core elements, you'll be ready, you know, for the risks you've identified and, and also for unexpected risks and, and unexpected events. And ERM will help you manage through that, you know, keeping your eye on the big picture and, and the long term. It's, it's, uh, ERM is very comprehensive, and I think those that have not really studied the actual framework, and it's actually going to be updated. Um, the expectation is it will be out in 2017 once the comment period is over. However, looking at the older framework, um, or <laughs> it's very comprehensive. I think if it's done right, um, people will realize, you know, it's really not only collaborative, it's, it's very um, comprehensive and risk appetite. Uh, it doesn't put you in a box because with that collaboration and def making certain definitions for each organization on risk, ap risk appetite as well as um, strategic uh, initiatives and how they will be implemented, uh, again, I think the ERM framework is probably one of the most comprehensive frameworks around. And in the banking industry, like you stated earlier, it's it's the go-to framework that they um, gravitate towards. Uh, and I only wish more industries kind of move towards that uh, strategic path versus just to kind of um, sta standing into that COSA 2013 framework. And I wanted to get into something a little bit more fun um, because everybody has a story of how they evolved from being part of the management team to now sitting on a board. Can you share with our listeners your path from management to board member? Oh, yes. This is one of my favorite topics. But first, let me say that I actually do think ERM is fun. So this is, this is another fun topic. Um, and, you know, everybody's path is different. Um, in my case, it was very intentional. I'd been interacting with my board, you know, throughout my executive career. And I, I recognized very early on that uh, the, the natural extension of my career and the things I loved about my career could, could be achieved through board work you know, through that kind of strategic and advisory capacity where you're still contributing to shareholder value and, and able to use your expertise to, to have an impact. So, so that all sounded like it was a really good idea to me at the time. And uh, I have to say, in retrospect, after just a couple of years of board service, um, it's been even more rewarding. Uh, so, so how did I get there? Well, it's uh, a combination of planning, luck, uh, and, and preparation. Um, the planning part, you know, straightforward. I, uh, you know, developed literally a plan uh, that, uh, you know, several years before I retired that, you know, identified all the steps that I should be taking, the kind of network I should be developing, you know, the resources I should be deploying, you know, what would make sense for the industry and, and the committee role of the first board seat. I put together a board bio that really spoke to my value proposition as a board member, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and then, you know, certainly uh, 
tried to uh, make it clear to my network uh, that I was interested. Um, but luck was also a factor. I joined my first advisory board, um, which is for a small private company, uh, through uh, the invitation of a high school friend that I hadn't been in touch with for many years. Uh, and, and, and at Broadway, I was introduced to the board by a former colleague. So, you know, it's being in the right place at the right time, but you can also uh, make a bit of your own luck. And, and that really comes from, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, being sure that everyone is aware of your interest and activating your network to help you. And then uh, lastly, preparation. Um, I wanted to be a board member, uh, but not just a board member. I wanted to be an outstanding board member. So I dove right in, and, and I just used every resource available um, to learn everything that I, that I could about board service. You know, I tapped into all the board members I knew. I joined organizations like the National Association of Corporate Directors. I attended every networking event I possibly could and all the you know, board education uh, types of events. And I read everything I could get my hands on. And, and that, by the way, um, that preparation phase is still ongoing. Um, as a board member, you can never stop preparing. Uh, it requires continuous learning, so you're uh, able to contribute to shareholder value creation in the best possible way by being well-informed and on top of all the issues and trends. So I, I still have uh, an insatiable appetite for board education and, and professional development and all the other opportunities to network with peers, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, board service has been great for me. I know it's not for everyone, uh, but I think if you're looking to have an impact beyond your executive career and if you love working with really interesting people and smart people on challenging issues, and if you have the bandwidth for professional governance, then, then you should certainly consider it. It's, it's been incredibly rewarding, and I certainly recommend it. Yeah, it almost sounds like the planning process for you is, was more of a passion rather than a chore. <laughs> was it, you know, it came very naturally that you wanted to plan for this and prepare for it, et cetera, for this journey. And I think that it's an exciting time, I think, for those professionals that have those, uh, you know, several years of experience, uh, especially when they've had that management level experience and bringing it to the board because, you know, you can speak to um, – the management team to say, hey, I've been there. I've actually done this. So now you're passing the, the baton of the knowledge, if you will. And I, I 110% agree about uh, the continuous learning. Uh, I don't think it ever stops. I think the best board members I've ever dealt with or worked with are the ones that are writing things. They're um, constantly networking. They're very, um, I call it a very sharing community. Uh, from from the very top board members. In other words, they will provide something to someone without feeling like they needed to get something back. And I found that to be very enlightening and refreshing that it's not a tit-for-tat kind of situation. Um, so I'm sure that uh, your other board members appreciate the fact that you've, you've taken this very seriously, Erin. Well, I do. I do have the passion, as you mentioned, and I, I think that's important. You have to know why you're doing it, and and not just um, you know pursue it uh, without exploring what your your personal connection is. But it is, uh, as you say, very very rewarding, and the people have been fantastic. So I I look forward to many more years of of serving in this capacity. 
And I look forward to hopefully bumping into you more and more, Erin. Well, Erin, we are wrapping up this interview, and I'm confident our listeners gained significant insight on risk management and what boards need to think through before they make their decisions. Thank you, Erin, for coming on our radio show. It's been such a pleasure, Sonia. Thank you so much. Well, this is Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum, signing off. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.